The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by Adam Levy. You might know him a little bit better as Ruthless. Uh, a, a longtime poker player, crusher of the online scene, has made a couple deep runs in the main event and uh, definitely wanted to have him on the show to talk a little bit about cards, but also I know that Adam is big in the NFT space, top shots, card collecting, um, and I think that we had a, a pretty enjoyable discussion about the NFT space, about crypto, but also about poker as well, a little bit, you know, about game theory and, you know, what uh, what the best game is, you know, the best real life actual test of game theory. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into the episode. If you want to support the show, you can leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or get bonus episodes of the show on patreon.com slash takecast. All right, everyone, welcoming in Adam Levy to the show. You probably know him a little bit better as Ruthless. Uh, I, I love having poker players on the show it's probably it's probably my favorite like we have we got athletes we have authors we have everyone on but i i tend to get the most into having dudes from poker on the show because poker is something i'm not an expert about and i am kind of more <laughs> like i'm just a fan of the game i'm not very good i like to play uh, but i just love to talk to people who are good at poker so first Thank you very much for coming on the show, man. How you doing? Yeah, no problem. It's good. I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, one real quick thing. It is Adam Levy, but Levy. I'm not, okay, not cool. going to hold it against you because I have a friend who literally on stream last night, he's a poker player. I've known him for 18 years. I've lived with him. He still says Levy. So, you know, it's just, it feels like it's a Levy. So it's all good, uh, but it is Levy and I'm happy to be here. This is uh, cool. I've definitely seen you, you know, in the DFS streets for years now. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the take cast seems like a fun one. Yeah, it, uh, it seems fun. I mean, we've had on, uh, Tony Dunst Brokos came on when, when his book came out, but, uh, always love to have dudes from the poker world on the show. So this is, this is where I want to start. What is your best gambling memory? Like, I mean, it could be, you know, the run in the main, whatever, but just your, your favorite moment of, you know, running pure winning money, whatever, or, or it could be the sickest bad beat ever. I mean, there's man, it's uh that that's hard to narrow down. Um, I right. think I've been kind of fortunate in like uh, early on. It, it's one of those things where early on in your career where you're doing well in poker and you just like start assuming that's how luck works, but you don't realize like no, you're just yeah. running incredibly. <laughs> um, so I'd say you know the I got twelfth in the main event and like there was a a point where like I was. Like I was chip lead of the main event on like day four in like one of the craziest uh, like uh, hands I've ever played where I got it in in a five bet pot with aces versus ace two 
for 300 big blinds on the 10, nine deuce board. And like, that was like definitely one of those moments. And like, you know, where like, so that entire obviously main event, but that was one of the, like the pinnacle, like where I'm just like, what? Like, like I literally am seeing my name up in front of everyone on day four of the main event. That was kind of like a pinch me moment. Um, I obviously, you know, the hand with Helmuth is, is, you know, I guess at this point it's kind of iconic uh every right. day you know it's crazy to me because it's uh been i think 13 years now and i have there was there was a lull you know after black friday there was a four three or four years five years where it's like okay like no one's really talked too much poker but lately i'll just tweet something at a random poker player and someone will just be like aggressive call like it, it happens like like clockwork and, you know, and, and it, every now and again, the, the clip gets recycled and um, it's funny, but my favorite, uh, actually my favorite hand, like that's not my favorite hand. My favorite hand is the John Robert one that I'm a part of. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't. No, right. Let's run through it. It's one of the most savage hands. I, I mean, granted, I'm, I'm a little biased because I was in it, but like, it's just savage it's just so sad. So it's day four of the main event. This is like an hour before the Helmuth hand happened. So it's me, Helmuth, uh, Jean Robert, and then like a few other people at the at the feature table. And this Russian guy, I think it's like Sark. Uh, I forget what his name is. I'm going to butcher it anyways. He just raises and uh, Jean Robert goes all in for 20 big blinds with ace queen. And the guy just decides he's going to call with 9-10 offsuit. Like just, just to, you know, I, I don't know. He had chips, maybe he wanted to knock out John Robert, who knows? And John Robert just kind of is like, you know, he literally says like, ah, I'm not so sure about the math on this one. You know, like mm -hmm. there's a little bit of, te and it's a little tense before the flop. And this is already in the money at least. Um, but the flop comes like ace. And sometimes I mix up exactly what the flop is, but you'll understand it once I get to the, you know, the end. The right. flop comes ace, deuce, seven rainbow so genre bears like pumped like yes like he loves it um you know and and the guy has not many outs and what happens is everyone starts listing like all the possible outs on the turn like i say you know some oh like no you know like a an eight would be bad or something like that um and everyone says like one but i didn't want to be the guy like saying all of them you know like i said the first one we didn't list the six you know or maybe you know whatever it was it was the gut shot the the, the like six gut shot and it comes on the turn because it wasn't you know said john robert like just like fist pumps and like goes to high five the dealer and i'm the one who has to be like like john robert he can still hit an eight and um that's when you see him like, be like, oh my God, like, don't do it to me, dude. The like, sweat, yeah. And then the eight comes on the river and it's one of the grossest reactions I've seen in any poker hand ever. Like, it's just like the entire table. It's just like, oh my God, like freaking <laughs> out. And uh, I mean, that one, I mean, neither of those hands get old, but that one gets me every single time because just it's just so nasty. All right, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go. Uh, I'm going to have to go look that one up. All right, related. You have one poker book you can give to someone. Let's say someone knows the hand rankings. They're like roughly aware of like the, the stuff that was circulating, you know, like 2005, like the never, never call only fold or raise, uh, be aggressive early, you know, uh, all of those things. But like, they, they probably 
they would they would not beat one two right or definitely yeah. they would not beat one two online and they could tread water one two playing live what's the poker book you would give them man i i really like don't have i haven't really read an actual poker book in a few years you know like it's but the there's definitely some advanced ones out there uh Forget, I yeah, I mean, we can we can do the advanced ones too. I've been I've been trying to read, you know, go through a bunch of them. I really like Andrew Brokus's books, uh, Thinking Thinking Poker. I think those are I think those are super oh, strong, but those are definitely more advanced. No, I think I think he does a great job of you know going through it. And this is one that I bought that is like very advanced modern poker theory. I have that one too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that one's great. You can really kind of. Um, it, you can really just kind of get really into the the weeds as far as the, you know, just, or it's just the strategy is great for it. You know, you can really learn a lot from it. I, so the thing is, it's, it's like the bridge from being, you know, amateur to then being like, you know, a winner to then yeah. being a, a, like a great player, you know? And I would think just kind of, I would think Andrew probably does a decent job of kind of summarizing things. Um, honestly, so are you like you're saying for someone who's already kind of learned the game um, i mean comp competent enough that they could go sit down and they you know they wouldn't just be like you know calling with seven nine off because they need to be unpredictable right like yeah competent, competent enough to understand the rules understand some of like the pretty basic theory but just you know they're they they would not go sit down at, at 510 at the bellagio and be a winner I I, I would definitely recommend some of the older books then, you know, like yeah. it, it, I think a large part of poker when you're learning is getting the concepts down, but not like you don't have to learn GTO right off the bat when you're learning necessarily. You just need to kind of understand the patterns that you're seeing, how things kind of work, how, you know, and just almost like the concept. So maybe Harrington for Hold'em. Um, I really don't want to say that like the first book I ever read was the the play poker, like with the pros or like, like the helmet yep. one. Uh, the lions and everything i didn't even finish that book uh the book that actually was really helpful for me and this is definitely dating myself because it's so long ago but like it was very early on was the um i think it was advanced tournament theory for uh, from skolansky because basically granted these concepts are kind of like you know definitely old and old now and one is actually kind of funny i think it's called the it's the gap concept where it was just like well it kind of holds true you know like let's say you raise under the gun and then like so under the gun plus one calls like that dude has a stronger hand than you you know generally right but like yeah. when you get to the button now it no longer holds true you know or the cutoff or the button like because those are like the loosest positions that aren't the small and big blind now when like it like calling the button is is super wide which is which i love that that's kind of one advantageous thing of, of how poker has has changed. That is so much fun. Um, it gives me this kind of feeling whenever I'm on the button, like, all right, like, you know how people would be like, you better not raise my big blind. And it's like, well, exactly. Not, not yeah. Like, better not raise the button because I'm going to be defending it, you know? Um, and it just, yeah, I really like how poker has changed in that regard. Are you still playing a lot like you know put like let's say you know to 2015 to to now like have you are you playing more are you playing less are you playing plo are you playing ring games are you like because i know one of your big things was you you played a ton online and then started playing a ton of live tournaments obviously not a ton of live tournaments have been available 
over the last year? Like, have you, have you, like, are you still into poker? Cause like I had Polk on the show uh, probably like a month ago now. And he's like, look, it's just at the, these levels at the stakes, I want to play at the stakes where it would need to be worth my time. It's just not fun. Cause I have to study so hard. The games are so tight. There's, you know, there's no artistry, right. And, and those yeah. levels, like you can't just be, you can't just be getting wild making plays. Like everything you do has to have a reason. Like, do you still think playing poker is a lot of fun? Uh, I, I, I get what Polk is saying. Like, obviously I'm definitely not at the level of Polk you know, like mm-hmm. uh, as far as skill, but like he, like at some point, like I, I started playing poker because I happen to have like a, just a decent skill set for understanding kind of like players. And there were certain things that I just did that happened to be way ahead of everyone else that I didn't even realize until fucking like a few years ago, you know, it was like, why was right. I good? Yeah. And it was like, one was super simple. It was like, I actually raised like 2.3 X the big blind or something when everyone was three Xing or, or doing something silly. Like it was, like, this is so early, by the way, Davis, this is like 2004. Like it was yeah, really, was, I was, stuff. I was, I was literally a kid then literally yeah. a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like s- simple stuff like that, where I was just like, like, are you even like slow playing aces or something? It was just like, those things were just printing back then. Um, but like, so now you really have to, it's rigorous. It's you're, you have to love data. And I, I, I like data. I don't love it. So when I'm looking, you know, it's like, you have to sift through PS solver simulations and, and try to figure out and then memorize this. It just gets kind of bogged down in what I enjoy doing, which is, I like playing poker live. I love the, I live for the main event. Like the World Series main event, it's the dynamic in those tournaments are so unique because like you can't like you can try to you know like game theory optimal sure go for it, but I mean obviously there's going to be good players don't get me wrong but there are some circumstances where it's like there's no sim that could predict this guy who's opening twelve times the big blind and then there's a call in front of you like on day one you're like I I, I don't know like how do you plug that in? You know, it's, it's just such a unique thing. And, and then um, a lot of, I don't know, it's just, there's just so many interesting things about specifically the main event that makes me love, you know, playing in that. And uh, lately though, I've been, I mean, yeah, you went through the quarantine kind of like, let's play online. Let's try to, you know, for the first few months. Cause like we all thought like we couldn't go outside or anything. Um, And after that, I, I mean, I actually have like a real job now. I work as a fraud uh, reviewer for a company that was actually founded by a poker player named, uh, it's called Approved, uh, A-P-R-U-V-D. I guess I'm, I'm, yeah, a little, like that's a plug, I guess. But There you go. uh, I have been uh, able to play some like, you know, home games around town or whatever. Uh, Actually, I did, funny enough, you know, like, I guess I played with the uh, Paul Pierce once, <laughs> which seems kind of nice. funny now. Yeah. It's like, you know, after the, the, whatever was going on on this IG live recently, but yeah, I mean that that's kind of fun. LA is a wild place for, for home games. There's a lot of, a lot of craziness, a lot of money being thrown around and that's fun. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all we've all heard stories about the L.A. home games, right, about all, you know, the celebrities playing and basketball players and, and movie stars and all the all the money being thrown out. And then obviously the extension of that is, well, like, oh, just let me get in one of these games. You know, let me get in one of these games against Paul Pierce and uh, Toby Maguire. Right. Was the guy <laughs> who uh, Molly's game was was mostly based off of or at least he was is a big part of that i mean that's probably like on a lot of people's poker bucket list is like get in in one of the you know hollywood poker games i i can't imagine the it's gotta it's gotta be insane yeah it's it's definitely in a different world <laughs> yeah um all right i now i want to talk a little bit more about crypto because i think a lot of poker is very interesting where so many people made so much money on crypto early. They got into Bitcoin super early because it was the most natural way to transact and be, you know, move money around, play poker on offshore sites, get your money out of the states. Uh, you know, just there, there are a lot of reasons that came into why Bitcoin, why, why poker is full of Bitcoin early adopters. And then as a result of that, Lots of poker players also got in on Ethereum early. You know, they were, they were like poker players were probably literally some of the first people to start scooping up Ethereum at like, you know, $8, $9. And I also get the sense though, that, that a lot of poker players, well, I don't know if like not true believers is the right word, but like it's an investment opportunity for them. Like they're, they don't, they're not, you know, true Bitcoin maxis. They're not, you know, checking the, uh, the Ethereum subreddit to see what the development is on, on ETH 2.0. And I don't know, I, the, the read I get from you is that you are more of like actually very interested in the underlying technology, see a future for a lot of these products and things. So I'm wondering, you know, did you ever have your crypto, eureka moment of being like oh i actually completely see the the real world problem that this solves and this is why i believe in it for x y and z yeah uh it was i mean i don't remember i, I remember roughly like the time it was 2016 probably like the summer shortly after the world series where i had some friends who were like yeah like there's this thing you know uh ethereum and I just remember kind of looking at it and, and so there are certain things that I, I kind of maybe, maybe I, I value it, but I know that it's not something that I should, you know, completely be like, all right, I'm sold. Like, uh, like use user, like the UI of a website or the look of it, you know, and sure. what it's doing. Yeah. And, and like, when I looked at, you know, ethereum.org or whatever, I was like, whoa, this is actually like better than a lot of stuff I've seen. And so that was like one thing. And then I like, discovered Vitalik Buterin and I was like this dude looks like the smart like if if you took a picture of if you, if you visualize what the smartest person on the planet looks like I was like it's this guy you yeah. know and and uh I think I've only had a few eureka moments in my life and I, it was one of those like it was seeing him I was like all right I'm in I need to buy ethereum and when I went to buy ethereum I had to wait a week because Coinbase was like, you know, um, like it took a little while to, you know, prove your account and stuff. It went from $3 to $7 in that uh, time frame of me waiting. So it, it, that, that's, which is crazy. Um, and I just, it, I don't really know how to articulate the feeling. It just is like a, I have to be in this. Like I, I believe in whatever this is, this makes complete sense. And uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like anti-Bitcoin or anything. I'm not, but I'm definitely very, very, very much 
uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem and love like DeFi, NFTs, you know, just everything about it. So that's pretty interesting because I would say, well, first, 80% of the people who come on this show don't like crypto at all. They're like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't own any Bitcoin. I don't own any Ethereum. It, it's not for me. Um, and then probably like the other 18% are, are like Bitcoin dudes. Like, and, and that is in my life. Like most of the people I know are more bullish on Bitcoin and more kind of whatever on Ethereum. And that has been, I mean, I, I did get in on Ethereum very blessed, very early. Um, I, I think the first purchase I made on Ethereum was like, it was probably trading at like $45 or something. And it, nice. you know, it's been, it's been sitting on a ledger for, I've never, it's never <laughs> moved. It's been sitting there forever. Um, and then got, got in on Bitcoin really early at like $400, lost it all gambling, bought, 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 yeah, yeah, it was too easy to do that back then. <laughs> and then, you know, got back in and then kind of steadily accumulated it. And I, I read, uh, I don't know if you know, Safadin Amu says the Bitcoin standard. He wrote this book. Well, oh, okay. it's a, it's a great book. He's a total lunatic. Now he's like, uh, he's one of these, these Bitcoin maxis. That's like, don't wear a mask. We'd all be better off under benevolent dictators. Like just like total crazy <laughs> stuff. The, I don't agree with his political stuff at all. His book is great. And I still recommend people buy his book. Um, even though I don't really like him all that much. And reading his book was my first eureka moment of being like, oh, Bitcoin actually solves this problem that has existed for all of human history, which is that governments can have never been able to help themselves from making too much money. And it's sustainable and it works for a while. But then there always ends up being this breaking point of there being too much money. Bitcoin, because it's you know decentralized, because Satoshi is probably dead. I, that's that, that's my working theory is that Satoshi is probably dead because this is how I always say it. Like, if you are if you were Satoshi and you had a million coins, uh, the market cap of which is is untold amounts of wealth, billions and billions of dollars, it would change your your great grandkids, great ga- grandkids' life. You you your entire you'd be in the top one yeah. percent of world history forever. I mean, come on, there, there's not a human being alive who has the will and the strength to not move those coins out of ideology, right? Yeah, like it's gotta be impossible. Yeah. Beyond diamond hands. Yeah. So my, my first Eureka moment was, oh, this is a problem that solves, Ethereum doesn't solve this problem because it doesn't, so what does Ethereum do? And very recently, I've kind of had my Ethereum awakening of being like, oh, we all just live so much more online and Ethereum provides transactional power and an ability to just to fund and power the metaverse, right? To fund this web 3.0 environment that I think we were all going to live in for the rest of our lives. I think quarantine yeah. and the coronavirus really started it. But I and and DeFi too, by the way. I mean, DeFi is is a huge chunk of that. But like I I now hold these paradoxical opinions of thinking, well, Bitcoin is like the best store of wealth that there will ever be but ethereum is also like the best protocol layer for web 3.0 that the human brain has imagined yet everything you're saying is uh is is great uh i, I mean yeah you, i completely agree uh and as you're saying it i'm just thinking like bitcoin is a store of value you don't really do much with it yeah you know, there's lightning network or whatever but ethereum the hardest part is not doing anything with it <laughs> 
because it's just there's so much you can do with it. You, you NFTs, DeFi. I mean, at some point in the near future, you'll probably be able to deposit. I mean, you can deposit in a, a top shot right now. You mm-hmm. know, it's just it, it really is becoming, you know, I, I Hey, Ethereum's actually like the the true store of value. You know, I saw a tweet that was kind of like sensationalizing it, but man, there's so much you can do with Ethereum, and and it's just kind of awesome. Yeah, and and um, so one of the things that I've been just playing in my mind is like, so right now I'm trying to buy a house, and I have to borrow and transact and do all this in U.S. dollars, and it would be. I would love to have my mortgage in Bitcoin uh, to have to have a multi-sig smart contract done in Bitcoin. And I think there are I don't know if this is true. So people listening to this, you can fact check me. I think there is a way to do it. I think there are um, like multi-sig solutions that allow you to do this. Have you but heard like, of I just, uh, I've heard of HODL HODL, which I think is like the same rough thing. But I mean, maybe not. I my I mean I I know my 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 friend actually works for BitPay and he I think like people will like buy stuff you know yeah. in, in large amounts of stuff in like whatever you know uh, like I get I forget how they do it but they convert it but I mean I could definitely yeah I mean it seems like it's it's definitely becoming closer to reality that you will be able to do that well and that's a that's a DeFi solution too right is you have the smart contract written up and you you are able to get the collateral and you're able to get the money that you need for the home loan or to open a business or the you know whatever kind of loan situation you need i mean that is one of the big use cases of defi and you know i i i'm obviously more tech savvy than like the average person but i like even like uh you know trying to yield farm and things like that like i i did i did a little bit of it i i have like a small amount of eth working in Uniswap, um, not enough to even beat gas fees. So I'm just leaving it in there for forever yeah. and ever. Yeah, gas is you, you get in the gas lock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, I am I am in the gas lock right now. But I I do just you're starting to see the cracks of the institutions, right? Of ways to function outside of the institutions. And that that really has been that eureka moment for me with Ethereum and and with Bitcoin too, because there's a way, you know, for wrapped Bitcoin to exist, there's a way for multi-sig yeah. contracts to work with Bitcoin as well. If you would prefer it, it's just easier with Ethereum because Ethereum is literally in it. It's smart contracts. It's literally built to do things like this. And, and for so long in Ethereum, it was like, oh, this is coming. We'll be doing this. Ethereum will be used for this. And now it's Ethereum is being used for this. People are doing this with Ethereum. And it's just very cool. Like like NFT, so many people think NFTs are stupid, but as someone who is like on the Ethereum subreddit in 2016, like, you know, it's amazing to see people spend real money on Ethereum projects. Like it's so cool to me. I completely agree. And and uh, to your point about people thinking that it's stupid, I was at a, uh, like, I had my friend's birthday. We got, like, an Airbnb over the weekend. And uh, this girl, I, she kind of brought up NFTs, like, randomly. And she was like, they're, oh, they're just, like, it's just, like, digital, like, coins for millennials or something. And I'm yeah. the guy, like, 
I'm the type of guy. I'm such like a believer right now that I can't let that stand. Same, I will have same. to. Yeah. I will have to say something. I will have to kill the vibe temporarily, and I, and you will have to hear my rant about digital horses or something, or or whatever it is, or you know, it, it, royalties. I don't know, but I, I and by the end of the conversation, she was like, "All right, maybe I'll look into it a little more." But she at least Googled it. You know, that's the that's the first step. And I, I just I, man, I. There's so much to to talk about with the Ethereum space. It is a beautiful thing, like you said, being in the subreddit in 2016 and even going through the 2017 kind of hype cycle. You know, yeah, it was a bull market, but I think uh, it's easy. You know, it kind of reminded me of the NBA Top Shot. I, I don't know if you have, like, if you d- dove into that at all. But oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm deep in I'm deep yeah. in top shots, big time deep in top shots. But like February, you know, whenever everything was mooning and we were all just like, yeah, like, no, it, it kind of gets to this weird place where you're like, I don't want to sell anymore because the market is so crazy that I feel like I'm actually just going to get like owned or if it makes sense. Like it's it's almost you be, start becoming very irrational. And yeah, I you be you become a prisoner of the ride up and you you convince yourself, well, like, oh, 10x isn't good enough because 10x yeah. is gonna feel terrible if it at 100 X's, which means I have some top shot bags. I, I was able to get some good top shot sales. Like I sold the first thing I ever bought for 15 X yeah. and good. that's kind of paid for all of it. But I kind of where I'm at now with Top Shot specifically is like I think the NBA is so committed to this product because they see how frictionlessly it generates them income that like top shot is going to be something five years from now. And like, well, I don't that, feel that's exactly my point is what I'm saying from the 2017 yes. hype is that like, we all had this, this like belief in it, but mm-hmm. the tr- infrastructure was not there. Not like, there. At the NBA top shot was literally scrambling like to every VC or something like pay me, pay me, pay me, you know, and, and like Ethereum, like we had crypto kitties, you know, that's not yep. enough. So now maybe in 2024, it'll probably be quicker for NBA top shot. Maybe next season, it's going to be like fully realized or, or close to it. And that's when you're going to be like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, you make a great point about the infrastructure because no one would describe Top Shot as frictionless, right? No, like I I like it. I'm one of the people that got withdrawals. Um, rel- nice. I mean, I got I got withdrawal like uh, two weeks ago, but like you know now they're up to like I don't know thirty thousand counts or something. Yeah. But kind of the messaging with them now is like, look, we're we're just not gonna be focused on making this bigger until we can handle the people that we have on board right now. They've hired, I know that they've hired a marketing team. Uh, my buddy, Dave Feldman, uh, just got literally left his job as the vice president of marketing for the <laughs> NFL to, to go work for Top Shot. Like there are, there are very smart people who are like, yeah, this is the future. I, I really want to be involved in this. And Top Shot, do you find this, that people are more irrational about Top Shot than any other NFT, anything? That they're more irrational and more emotional about Top Shot than anything else? Uh, I have, I, I, I would say, I would say, yeah, for the most part, like I haven't seen that many people, but I have seen some people be like, oh, like I'm, I'm so bullish, like right now, you know? And it's like, it's like, okay, but we're, you know, I mean, maybe you can be bullish for, you know, two years or something. I mean, in two years or something or whenever it is Yeah. Like, right now, it's just like, it's, it's you, you got, you gotta like, 
kind of it's the growing pains period where they're figuring things out and they've done a great job of it and like I, no one really knows you know like by the dip i don't really think this is necessarily a dip because it's just they have to really get like you said the infrastructure and 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 make sure things are very streamlined and honestly at this point like if you really want to think about it yeah, maybe the playoffs will have some sort of like, you know, be something good for it. But when things are going to be moving, it's probably closer to the 2021, 20, 22 season or even like the preseason of it, where it's like a normal, you know, off normal season, season. yeah, and everything. And, and like NBA top shot is going to be ready. They're just going to try to piece together uh, the rest of the season here, you know. Um, but I agree that there are a lot of people where I'm like, I, I think like me, it's also possible that a lot of actually, no, it's not possible. It's definitely true that there's a lot of people who probably were not that into crypto, but they're super uh, in NBA top, super shot. in NBA top. Shot. Now they're yeah. into NFTs, you know, but they don't really know about what hype cycles are, you know, and, and, or even bull markets don't really truly grasp it. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, you're probably right. I definitely made some bad buys in like that February period where it's like, I'm not going to, I, these might go to zero. I'm, I might realize my return on investment, like, you know, multiple years away, which is fine because I just think top shot is cool. Like I, and I know that you're into sports cards too. I've got, I actually did it in reverse. I, I had not bought like a, a slab sports card ever in my life. I'd bought like some here or there, but I never like got really into it. And Top Shot just kind of more opened me up to like collecting in general. And I, I'm cool. I, well, what what sports card showed me was some of the stuff on Top Shot was definitely overvalued based on it being an NFT and it not mirroring like a sports stock market, which I think is kind of more the base functionality of what it should be. Like, oh, I'm going to buy... Isaiah Stewart, because I think he's going to be the starting center for the Pistons next year. And I think he's going to be good. Not uh, I'm buying Mason Plumleys because I just think people are going to ape into whatever yeah. they can buy for the low price point. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that, yeah, what you said or what I took from what you said was, was one thing. Is sports cards have actually, you would think initially I was like, oh, sports cards are, are done. You know, like, and then I'm like, but the more you think about it now, there's like, they're actually kind of harnessing each other's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, energy almost where the digital world is like, oh yeah, like we think this guy's sick or whatever. And, or this card's like possibly like Giannis is underpriced or whatever, but he's, you know, like you said, like there's different markets, but you can kind of go back and forth where now it's like, oh damn, like Luca had a good game last night. Like I want to buy his NFT or I want to buy his sports card. And it's like, kind of like let's it's almost as a hedge where you can now buy you're like all right luke had a great game or i i believe in freaking like norman Powell getting traded to portland like yeah. let, me buy, let me buy his nfts and let me also buy his sports cards and it, it does the same thing with speculation which i love it's like oh yeah i just believe in this player i don't believe in this player like imagine like justin herbert nfts next year you know coupled with the justin herbert rookies like things are it's what a, it's just gonna be crazy yeah it's um it's like a it's like a layered bet with top shot because you're layering it both on the player on the platform on nfts like which is it's just so much more interesting to me because you know i i continue to think that there are 
just all of these exponential upsides for NFTs because, and this is a tired point. Everyone knows this. Every day people are more online. Every day new kids are creating Facebook accounts and you know playing FIFA Ultimate Team and and buying packs. And they're just people are just so much more used to the concept of digital ownership now than they were literally even a year ago. I mean, even a year ago, the landscape and how thinking how people think about the digital space has changed. And there there's all these, there's many great, you know, fascinating pieces on the the metaverse and uh, and all that stuff. Have you been on Clubhouse at all? Uh, I, I've done, I've done, we did one clubhouse. We did the swole cast, uh, on oh, nice. clubhouse like a month ago. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So, so the thing is with, with clubhouse is, uh, and I've been on it since like December is it kind of is if to me, it feels like uh, the foundation for like your own brand almost, or you yeah. know, if you want to talk about something or just a topic. So you go there, like if you, like for me, I got on Clubhouse, I talk poker or whatever. I get some follows on like Twitter and Instagram and Clubhouse. So it's like all of a sudden, it's kind of like it, it glues the other platforms to together almost where because you have them linked or whatever. And what ended up happening was NFTs, they, there were rooms about it day in, day out. Blau was in there every day, but it was like 30 people. And I was like happy about it. I wanted to get in there, but like, you know, I, I'm still new to this. Uh, like it's a weird, you know, it's weird to just go into a room and talk to nobody, you know, or something like that it takes a little bit to get used to it. And over time, it just like, maybe like within like a few, maybe it will say a month, it went from 30 people to like, I think the, when Blau dropped one of his, uh, his like his record, his album, it was like 3000 people in there or something crazy. And it, and it was just not, and then you couldn't get away from the NFT rooms. And, and, and for whatever reason, I think clubhouse was really instrumental in, in kind of making NFTs very much known uh, because you, it, it's such a good place to connect with people. Um, you yeah. could, you can meet so you could probably meet people who love the take us. You could probably meet people who are like, you know, I, I've met people in Serbia, uh, at like uh, Somalia, you know, just all like, you know, it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, of course I, I may, yeah, I, I could, I may, maybe I played against a Serbian poker player before, maybe I met him or whatever, but like to just actually freely communicate with these people in like a kind of cultivated space almost is super cool. Um, but I know I'm getting a little off the topic, but I just think that um, NFTs really were the first thing that Clubhouse was able to blow up. Um, and yeah, it, I don't I don't think they would have had the run they had without Clubhouse also generating all of these new users and interests. Like I, I know like Jack Settleman was on there talking about NFTs like uh, Woj was on Clubhouse talking about Top Shot yeah. like it, it was it was huge. And I think they were totally symbiotic. Do you do you remember the first NFT you heard of? Like, were you like, do you remember CryptoPunks or do you remember like, oh, that's what an NFT is. Like I top shot was the first one for me. Well, I mean, I have some crypto kitties. I actually got the Carl Anthony towns, top the shot OG run. I, yeah, there you go. Cause I bought some and I named my, I thought maybe you could, you, once you got it and changed the name once you could never change it. So I made mine Vitalik Kitterin and I was like, Oh my God, it's the best name ever. It's going to sell for so much. But then I realized you can just change it as soon as you buy it. Um, but yeah, I have like four, they're just kind of sitting there they're not really like worth anything, but it's just kind of like a cool, uh, memento of the past. But 
Um, I'd say, you know, it's funny. I, I, I like, I knew about it. Um, I even had the sandbox, like, you know, that's like one of the metaverses. The, yeah. Like they, so I, I was on this podcast called Crypto Basic uh, Podcast for a while. And, um, and I actually got to have the CTO of the sand, of sandbox on there. And this is like in June of 2000, I think like, yeah, it was, it was 2020, I think. But at least like, I was like, whoa, like this is, this is way bigger than I ever thought. Like I know about it. I've always known about it, but this is going to be crazy. It's just what I wish I had. So the thing is, is like, like right now, like when there are bull markets, everyone is working. When there are bear markets, only the the people that truly believe in the tech are really working on working yeah and i wish i would have just like like i always believed in nfts i just couldn't ever understand how to do anything with them or i didn't really see anything besides crypto uh kitties for a while and and every time i would like kind of go down the path it didn't seem like it was easy for me to figure out or there was much there but obviously i should have been a little more uh I should have done a little more, you know, got you know, done a little deeper of a dive. But yeah, I mean, I, I saw it. I believed in it always. It made so much sense. I mean, it is a multi-industry disruptor, which is an impossible thing. Like, how do you even get like that? I can't even really think of many inventions that, that are- That have been like that. that. That's like the yeah. internet almost, you know? Like, it's literally, it, what is it? It's for- for uh, music, for for art, for ticketing, for digital ownership of games that you can then you can then change the game that you're using your digital skin for, like right. so you know which which is wild. That's not something you could do with Fortnite to then transfer it to some other epic game. So those things right there that that's four industries already that are gonna it's gonna change. Yeah. Um, okay. What are some of your favorite projects right now? Because like I, I know Top Shot, you know, I know CryptoPunks, I surf around OpenSea. I, I have not, uh, I've not aped into any of these new ones. And then obviously, you know, I'm the, the, the thing that everyone says is a lot of these things are going to be worthless. You know, a lot of the things that are going to be created right now are going to be very low liquidity markets, but that doesn't mean all of them are. And then also the other thing is plenty of people buy art or you know, things for their house or things for their collections that they don't ever expect, you know, to, to turn a profit on. And it's just, they want to collect it because it's cool and they like it. What, one of the ones I saw was uh, Picasso punks, which are, you know, it's not, it's not crypto punks. It's not going to be cool, but they just looked so cool to me that even if I'm like, oh, this is uh, you know, this is just a money grab, or this is just someone trying to make some money off of the CryptoPunks wave. Like, I still just think it looks so cool. Are there, are there any that you are like super excited about? I mean, yeah, I think that the, the CryptoPunks kind of, you know, world is that that's always going to happen, unfortunately, where someone does something right. And then business is just like, Hey, let's mimic that. And, and I, I, I've, I don't have a CryptoPunk. I've kind of avoided most of those just because for me, that's why I love NFTs. Is it, it when you have DeFi, it's cool. You start farming, whatever. But NFTs, I can do something with that. You know, I can play Gods Unchained or, or mm-hmm. like a card game or whatever. Uh, a few ones that I, I've gotten that I kind of like the the Dead Mouse cards are kind of fun. Um, 
Uh, and I think also, I mean, the sandbox is cool just because you can, I mean, you're going to be able to do so much in that you make your own games, Decentraland, Somnium, spa uh, Somnium Spaces, CryptoVoxels, like the things you're, you're going to be able to do so much fun stuff inside the metaverse. Uh, and then I'd say, I mean, obviously Zed Run is just, uh, I've, Zed Run, I've never seen something that is so like it's built out far more than any other NFT. People love Zed Run. People are are so in on Zed Run. I mean, I mean that it, that yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, the one thing that's per or not the one thing, the thing that makes it so perfect is we all love horse racing. Like everyone, you know, most people, especially if it, it really overlaps with gamblers, you know, anyone in sports, like Kentucky Derby. All right, I'll throw, I'll watch it, I'll bet on it, whatever. Um, and then also you there's a lot of strategy with it a lot of a lot of data to look through um you get to race your horses you can breed your horses at some point which is crazy you know that that that's that that just opens it up to a whole kind of other world and the amount of things that they're going to be able to do with it is pretty awesome you know you, you can have ads you they, i think they have a they already have uh, a partnership with atari then you can sponsor the tracks you can you know it's it's the the possibilities for that one are endless. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite one, but it's definitely the one that it seems like it has the most promise. Um, I love anything with Artifact. Have you heard of them? No. Uh-uh. They're, so it's R-T-F-K-T. Like, you know, just that, that's just, it's all caps. And they're, they're kind of, they're making NFTs that are also usable as like AR VR like you could use like a Snapchat filter and then put on like this like AR coat. Um I, I think uh you could you buy these you can also buy like these and uh art artifact like I think there are these Atari shoes that you can then put on to use in the sandbox you know and, and everything they do seems to just have this air of cool to it. Right now there are these space capsules capsules that I bought yeah and um actually like this freaking artist that i happen to meet a few times della desso like i have one of his i opened his and i was like this is awesome and at some point they'll they're gonna give utility to that stuff and i just i just there's a look that if i see it i just love it and i feel like artifact just has that yeah which is so much of this stuff is driven by like oh does this just look cool like does this give off the vibe of cool and if it does that gives it staying power. That gives people a reason to put their money into it. That gives people a reason to care. And I don't think that stuff can be overlooked. Like if things look cool, if things are cool, then people will be into it. And that, I mean, that's pretty simple, but I, I think that eludes a lot of people. Like when, you know, the, the New York times is talking about NFTs and all that stuff. It's like, that's, that stuff just gets lost, but like people want to buy own and transact in cool shit. Like that, it's yeah. it's really pretty that simple. But what's funny is what you're saying is basically the the like premise of art. You know what is cool? Yes. How do you figure that out? And and that's what's kind of fascinating about the art world, like IRL, and you know with NFTs, just people or freaking like what's the the guy who started Archelect, um, Pack or oh, something? Oh yeah. Yeah. He he just sell sell. I mean, or this guy X Copy who just it looks like it's like a it's like glitch art i don't really i don't really understand it and it's selling for 
300, 500 ETH or something. Like it, it, it's nuts to me because it's all relative. Right, exactly. Yeah, a great, a great thing to remember in all parts of life is that, you know, it's all relative. <laughs> uh, okay, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was games. Because I think this is true of poker players. I think this is true of DFS players. Like a lot of, some people really like poker. Some people really like sports. So like, that's why I play DFS. I really like sports or I really like poker because I just really like poker. But some people are just like far more interested in games and game theory and like actually testing them out. So, and I know, I, I know that you were into magic. Um, I, maybe you still yeah. are. I don't know. Yeah. So like, what do you think right now as it exists? What, what is the perfect game? Like what is the best test of game theory? and things like that that exist, like has the most wrinkles, is the most engaging. I'm, I'm curious if you have, I mean, maybe you don't even have an opinion. Maybe you just like all these games. I mean, I think that while there isn't that much game theory in Magic, I still just think Magic is the perfect game because they do, it does a good job of, you know, having luck. And you always need luck, RNG. Always need luck, like, yes. It's not like, hey, we're it doesn't need to be completely, you know, like pure gambling, like freaking slots. Like I've never gotten slots at all. Yeah. Maybe I've played some here and there, but it's just like, you're literally just, it's just the RNG completely, but like magic, you know, there's enough of that and there's enough of a blend of skill with that. And it's always dynamic because like with, with poker, you have four aces, you have four Kings and so on. Like, yeah, like obviously there's infinite possibilities for a flop or something like that, but like, you know what, but like magic, the cards that you're using rotates every three months. If you're playing like a, you know, one of the, the formats where you just open packs and then make cards out of make decks out of that. Or yeah. it's just like you, you have full control over what you're putting into your own deck. And, and I, I just think magic is just, the guy who created it, his name is Richard Garfield, and he literally has the perfect skill set to create games. Was He grew up playing games with his parents, and he studied game theory, and then he also studied math, I'm pretty sure. Like, he was like a, he's a professor at Harvard, and he just is like, you know, had a degree in math and, and game theory and just blended it together after playing board games all his life. So he just took poker and took, like, chess and was like, how can I make this into a good game? And it's been around for 28 years now. And it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Um, I do think that poker isn't the best game, but what I will say about it is it is, it, it, it has like the perfect blend of luck with skill in a way that you, it will trick you if that makes sense. But it's like, it's such a, it, it, it's still, even if you, and even if you recognize that it is tricking you or that, yes, I, I know that I'm worse than these players. You still get a fair enough of a shake in a single game or a single tournament that you really can have a legitimate run to really power you to get better or to show you that there is a little bit of promise. Or even in that single hand, you can do something. You can play terribly the entire time, but maybe there's one hand where you just own some dude, you know, right? right? Like that's, that's why I think poker is, is great in that regard. Also when you're playing live, it's social, you're kind of, um, yeah, honestly, I, I don't, I hate to refer to it as this, but it kind of feels like clubhouse IRL almost where clubhouse just, IRL. Yeah. People just buy into these tournaments or they sit for like $500 with whatever you, yes, maybe they're from like, you know, a certain area, but if you go to Vegas, 
you're probably you could be playing with a Finnish dude, a dude from Kentucky, and then like someone from you know Argentina, and you're just everyone has to get along in this space and and learn to kind of you know be elbow to elbow with this person, and uh, I, I really like that aspect of just the socializing you know in, with poker because it's forced. Yeah. It's not. It, it it's, is. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because no one wants. I mean, no one wants to be like ostracized at the table and it's just not human nature to sit there and compute things like a robot like there there are all sorts of of human dynamics at play also you know the other thing that makes uh live poker so fascinating is is there are more people like there are not very many games you can play with nine people right like uh i mean i i guess i don't know the rules to magic but i know you know most board games it's, it's like four tough. or five yeah, yeah. Like werewolf is one game that you never play that game live where it's like tw- you can go up to like i've played with like 24 people it's hectic but it's basically you know like mafia where you just kind of have to figure out who the wolves are and like there's usually two wolves for like 10 people and then everyone else is a villager and everyone acts like they're a villager so it's a fun social game that you can just play almost anywhere. I'm sure there are a lot of if there's a lot of poker players who would just play in a lobby of like their hotel and just do it one night. Um, that's a fun game, but yeah, there aren't many games you can play with nine people uh, that aren't like sports. Right, exactly. Which is one of the things that and and sports, by the way, uh, people do love the. I mean. Some people love, some people hate the the RNG of sports. You know, the the nerds want to want to legislate the RNG out of the game, but it is you know it's undeniably one of the things that makes sports so great. It's, it's you know it's uh, football twenty two people, yeah, the bouncing the bouncing oblong leather ball. I mean, <laughs> it is, yeah, it's, it's crazy, and and that is that's what so much of us love about that sport. So there we go, man. I think we are, we're, we're wrapped up here. Do you have anything you want to, you want to promote to the people? Uh, no, not particularly. Um, probably going to go play a live poker tournament in hard rock in South Florida. And that's going to be great world poker tour. First one in a year and a half. That's like the next thing that's really on agenda. Beautiful. Yeah. But no, yeah. Just, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Everyone you can follow Adam on Twitter, uh, at Ruthless. Uh, so go ahead and do that when you get to the episode of this show. And uh, thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.